Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, hashtag MMO Weekly, hashtag MMOW. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, and I guess I'm giving Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly weather reports every one of these now. At this point. Yeah. I think we're searching for content and trying to add <laughs> new segments that'll just get us rolling. It's right, a little exactly. softball. And uh, my weather report today is cloudy, which is certainly better than, uh, you know, murderous typhoons. Uh, that are not hitting us, and we hope everybody stays safe where that's hitting in India. My God, I saw that today, and I was like, can it get any worse? Just can it get any worse? The signs are just overt at this point. It's like we're not even a guessing game about the apocalypse anymore. It's just the end of times. We just need to embrace it. I figure come September, October, the first people that got hit with COVID will finally transform into zombies, and that'll be the next step. So we're all we're just kind of like waiting off the clock here, I think, as a, as a humanity in a race, and that's an uplifting way to start this episode of this news and information show that brings you around the Hollywoods as we dive deep into all of the industry news and news affecting the biggest block busters and as always in the time of covid it's ever changing there is always going to be news about the shifting landscape of whatever cinema is and what it will be at the end of this uh but we do have kind of a high note to start off on because we have what we think is going to be a legitimate oscars contender releasing its first trailer today and we can start by diving in to some trailer thoughts thoughts All right, Mike, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods dropped its first trailer today. So I don't know what this is saying, but it's it's the truth. This is the best trailer thus far on the year. Yeah. I don't know if it's saying enough because we haven't, <laughs> haven't gotten what Even I Even in a normal year, this would be an impressive trailer is what you're trying it's to say. It's a very impressive trailer. It's stylish uh, with its closing and the tie-dye paint. It's stylish with its opening on the uh, radio broadcast there in Vietnam. You get a live recording of the song Time Has Come Today from the Chamber Brothers. And Mike, this has been one of the more overused songs in movie history. We have yeah. Casualties of War to Spike Lee's Crooklyn to My Name is Earl the Outlander. There are over 40 credits for the Chamber Brothers on IMDb, most of which use this song. So Spike Lee actually includes this live performance it's it's unique in this trailer you can hear the clangs it's not pristine audio in terms of the clangs of the tambourine and the you know how it's building and, and you know the intro outro of that song i thought was brilliant i loved i love the music value uh, right off the top I'm with you. I love the way it was used, and it was very, very unique seeing the actual live performance kind of be a, a background for some of the scenes. It was, like, superimposed on some things or fading in and out, so that was kind of cool to see. Uh, I didn't see the trademark dolly zoom. Like, we didn't have the, the camera pulling out or zooming in while the, the, the zooming out, I should say, while the actors come closer to the camera. I'm, going I'm sure that'll be in there. We got a glimpse of Paul Walter Hauser in this. I, the story is... Simple, Interesting. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's simple, though. I mean, these soldiers hit a case of gold bullion in Vietnam somewhere. <laughs> I like saying that word, bullion. And uh, I think uh, I think the ones that made it out 
you know, they formed this pack that they were going to come and retrieve it. The only question I have coming out of that is why didn't they retrieve it much sooner? Like they made a pack to come back 40 years later. Why not 10? Why not 20? Why not 30? Right, right. Like this is this is not Saving Private Ryan so much as it is like Last Vegas meets Saving Private Ryan. Which I love, though, because I love this cast. I mean, these oh, are yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Actors. I'm with you. Uh, you got some young guys involved, like Jonathan Majors, like Paul Walter Hauser. But uh, you, you mentioned the cinematography lacking his signature shot, but he does do some cool things with the uh, the old school cameras being used for the flashbacks. You got the crisp HD high def there for the current story. You got all the documentary f- footage of the war, politicians, yeah. major events uh, of that time period in this trailer. I'm guessing he's going to use it in the movie as well because he's he's done that. In so many of his films so i just think it's a jam-packed trailer you still get the the spine of the story i'm a huge fan of of i mean how stylish he gets with with uh with everything he does let's just say because it's too much going on for spike these days i mean he's really on his game yeah the promotional material for each one of his films is like its own unique fingerprint and this one seems to have its gaze fixated on this kind of tie-dyed take you back to the 60s type uh, Vietnam era presentation which we've seen done before but we've never seen it done in Spike's way so that's certainly going to be fun to to watch roll out um I you know there was a lot of hype this past weekend on Twitter and our our buddy Matt Neglia there who runs Next Best Picture Mm -hmm. He, as he does a couple times a year, asks for the first time what's going to be the next best picture. Gets a lot of great input from a lot of people. I saw a lot of people being very high on this film uh, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, one, because it's, they think it's a Netflix time. Two, because if people are going to be locked indoors, you know they're going to be relying on streaming services more often than usual, blah, blah, blah. I would be a little hesitant after seeing this trailer to think it's automatically going to be a best picture front runner, especially because of what I said. Like it, it, I didn't get like war epic 1917 saving private Ryan, any of those that we traditionally think of war pictures contending for best pictures, even though those have fallen short too. And this one seemed to have kind of like an action movie underbelly to it as well. That's true. It's an ensemble piece and you don't necessarily feature any one actor's hook in an ensemble yeah. piece. I mean, I guess the character that they focused most on was Chadwick Boseman's, but uh, I don't know what's going on with his character there. Did he die? I'm guessing so. And he's just in the flashbacks in this case. So I'm thinking that it's hard to kind of convey the, uh, you know, the Oscar narratives here in this trailer. You're right. It winds up being a really kick-ass action movie because you got a lot of that in the present day. You still got the helicopter, you know, flying through the trees and getting blown up. And you still got people weaponing up and all kinds of stuff going on. You got Paul Walter Hauser and Jonathan Majors showcasing some major reaction shots in this trailer. So I think the, the older guys are a bit more comic relief and the younger guys are, are trying to pull some shit. I don't know. I, I can't. I, I'm going into this movie kind of with an open mind. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I, I'm, I'm hooked on the basic storyline, I guess. It is coming out in June, so that's going to be maybe one stumble or one roadblock or one at least difficulty that the movie is going to have to contend with coming out so early in the year. But then again, it has no other competition, so the day can certainly be its, as we have talked about in previewing this movie a couple times before. Yeah, it could be, but it, if it has the goods, it's going to have the audience 
I mean, we've talked about it the last episode. I mean, if it, if it showcases now, it could become that early front runner, like most people are hoping it is. And I'm sure we'll we'll be talking about it for two weeks if that's the case. Oh, if yeah. this movie is tremendous, then, you know, it's, it is going to have that lasting impression on us in particular. So almost the uh, diametric opposite would be the other trailer that we have to talk about today, also coming from Netflix, the Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams movie, uh... I, I don't know what the official name of this movie is. I think it might be Eurovision Song Contest. But anyway, we had a music video drop featuring Rachel McAdams and Will Fer- Ferrell. The story of Fire Saga, Volcano Man. This wasn't a trailer. Like I said, it was a straight up music video, which I guess would account for Sweden or Norway's entry into the Eurovision Contest. And... Wow. Just wow. What in the hell is this, Michael? Like, what is it? So you are not familiar with the actual Eurovision competition, No, correct? of course not. <laughs> of course. I'm sorry, but of course, of course not. So Eurovision, as far as I understand it, and I am far from a master or an expert in it, it's basically American Idol but where the European nations compete against each other. Okay. And they basically put on their own opening ceremony of the Olympics in form of music video and live musical performance. And a panel of judges picks a winner out of all of them. And it's it's exactly like Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams look here. These gaudy, oversized costumes that you can see from outer space with these made-up landscapes. They look like they're literally playing electric keyboards, dueling electric keyboards on the side of a volcano. Yeah, it's it's pretty much that represented. And it, the real Eurovision contest is such great fodder for a Will Ferrell parody. I'm almost surprised it took him until 2020 to do this. So this is a movie, then? Is this a movie, yes. a TV show? Is it just a music video because people need attention? I don't understand what this is. It could is. be I all really of those don't. things, quite frankly. Like, are they really singing? I don't know if they're really singing. Yeah, it's one of those cases where I, you got to know what's being parodied. I have no idea. So I was just like watching this. I'm like, all right, that's weird. Slightly amusing. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought the song was legitimately decent. <laughs> Did you not? Am I crazy all here? All the power to you, my friend. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. Murder hornets, like, typhoons are coming. I didn't expect this to slap as much as it did, as the kids would say. I thought it was pretty good. The kids should say that. You shouldn't say that. But I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm happy for you. That's that's what counts. I appreciate your your nicety there, but we'll we'll transition and talking about what we're watching now, Michael. That's what we're watching. Thank you. You're going for the Eurovision crown yourself Trying. there. I should have uh, had a few. Uh, <gasps> what was he saying? He was like sing breathing. I don't know how you even so, do that. It was so funny with a close up of his teeth to start the trailer. Ah, uh, it's 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 tough for me to say of those two trailers. I think you should go make uh, the Will Ferrell song parody one a priority but I, I i i wouldn't hate you if you did let's just leave it like that he's such a weird dude my god <laughs> we had the season finale of the last two episodes of the last dance airing last night on the 17th michael i want to live in this documentary <laughs> i want to be a fly on every wall and uh. i want to go if i if i had a time machine i would go back to the mid 90s and somehow be like one of michael jordan's security guards like is there yeah. a way i could get <laughs> to that point where i could just hang out with michael jordan all that time i need to see more of this 
Imagine telling Doc Brown that's what you're going to do with his time machine. <laughs> completely, <laughs> Just go back so I can be security guard for a guy. Completely selfish, but also I would have given him one of those uh, <laughs> Five Guys pizzas at a yeah. different time in his career, maybe before a certain you know New York Knickerbocker game or two. But- so that was obviously one of the big stories that came out of this was the the infamous flu game was not a flu game at all. It was the food poisoning game, which some people knew. A lot of people, I guess, didn't. Uh, and they we got a little more insight into that story that there was this really suspicious late night pizza delivery in Utah where five delivery men came to give this pizza to Michael Jordan in the wee hours of the morning. And he ate it and he woke up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning puking his brains out. And then he dropped 38 points on the Jazz later that night. Still. So. Yeah, because he, he's a superhero. Okay. Michael Jordan in 1997 is the most famous man alive. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me that you were that suspicious about five dudes bringing you a pizza? No, he that wasn't. Had... That's the whole point. I mean, he ate the pizza because he well, probably he had... Well, he wasn't. I'm talking about the people surrounding him. Well, like his personal trainer who was there and his, his bodyguard who was there. They're just going to let this guy eat this pizza if they're that suspicious about the delivery situation? They're probably used to it. It probably happened all the time. I'm not saying five guys delivering a single pizza was a common occurrence, but I'm saying, you know, if, if a... Del- I mean, maybe it was. If a, if a delivery guy was bringing him food, maybe the whole store would turn out and just like wave and want to see Michael Jordan. I mean, the, the way they've shown this doc and how just mobbed he was, it was like Beatlemania every time right. he went outdoors. So I, I believe it. I, I wonder if that was part of the cover. It's like, we can't just send one guy. He'll know something's up. We got to send all five of us. <laughs> so you think they knew? I mean, that has to be the story, too, is that they had to have known they were delivering a pizza to Michael Jordan from the outset. If they were, especially if they were trying to poison him. They poisoned his pizza. I don't even want to think about how they poisoned his pizza. I don't even want to think if I, like I was in his situation, would I have known it was poisoned? How would I have known? All these are disgusting questions that deserve to be put in our Capone review. In terms of this (laughs) narrative, I just, I can't believe that it was a stomach flu game. I didn't know that going in. And, uh, that is as draining as it gets. Obviously, if you're up puking all day and all night, and then you you have to play a basketball game, which just is like the worst kind of sporting event if to, to yeah. play when you're that sick. I mean, baseball is one thing. Even football, well, football is kind of hard too. But it yeah, depends. Football, we're off to. Depends what position you're playing. But like golf, I would say easier. <laughs> golf would be definitely be easier. Yeah, basketball is all calisthenics. Uh, but that was. I mean, we had a lot of great stories that yes. broke in these last two episodes. I thought right. We actually got into the Dennis Rodman NWO. Hey guys, I'm sorry we're in the middle of the finals, but I got to go shoot this Monday Nitro for WCW next to Hulk Hogan. What and the way Phil Jackson handled it, I loved. What an understanding coach. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, you could have been a hard ass there. He's like, no, you're suspended for conduct detrimental to the team. But he probably told Rodman was this because the way Rodman played in the next game, he was pretty inspired. He probably told Rodman, he's like, listen, I love you, Dennis. You should have told me we shouldn't be playing these games at this point. But, dude, if you suck in this game, the whole world is going to be yeah. on your case. So you better not fucking suck in this game. And that probably worked like a charm Dennis, because Dennis was absolute beast in that game. Yeah, he was, he was an animal that whole series, and then he uh, went and got diamond cutter later on that summer by uh, Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page. 
Uh, I thought the story about Steve Kerr's father was yeah. like gut wrenching. That's nothing I ever knew. Did you? No, I didn't know it. It was an awkward transition getting into it because it's yeah, like it was. it was almost like here's a flashback. <laughs> yeah, they had that a couple times in this whole series, and, and rewatching it, it's kind of clunky, but you don't care because it's you know captivating stuff. This was one of those you know cases where it just you forgive it immediately it's a captivating story it's 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 a it's a larger than uh than than the sporting world kind of a story that that really you know shows you where these people come from and the, the crap that they've gone through and then connecting that to the Gus Lett story later in this episode obviously harkening back to Michael Jordan's dad wow i i thought that you know in terms of thematic through lines you know, you, if you force another Z story at this point, Z or Y story into the the whole thing, you might as well do it like this and have it just directly correlate with your your other you know heavy stuff. What was your favorite part out of either of these last two episodes? Larry Bird, personally? Larry Bird coming up to yeah, Michael Jordan after the game and and basically saying, "You bitch." Fuck you. <laughs> Which is basically how guys say I love you. you know? And he's smiling. It's a huge smile. It's a toothless yeah. smile that Larry Bird always gives because he's got that long upper lip and he doesn't show his teeth ever. Have Greatest you ever seen Larry ever. Bird's teeth? I mean, you, you have photos all over your room of Larry Bird. Oh, I've, I've seen every time. inch of Larry Bird. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Michael, he is, uh, he is like the, the guy I want to hang out with most after this whole whole thing wouldn't you like if you had you could sit down with anybody after this whole thing obviously michael jordan excluded like would it be dennis rodman like if you can interview one person like larry bird i think is the guy i'd want to interview because you know he's a coach going against michael he's a player he's got the dream team experience he'd be he'd be fascinating yeah larry bird would definitely be up there but my reasons are probably more based in sexual reasons than anyone else i'm kidding of course Uh, he's been a longtime hero of my i'm a lifelong celtics fan but i'm with you i love that moment i love the moment the three of them had those two and magic johnson when the 98 all-star game was being played earlier in the series as well they were all uh, bullshitting with each other in the locker room i thought the part where Jordan reacts to the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf's take on why this core had to be broken up after the 98 season. The way Jordan's eyes kind of lit up when the producer told him, we have Reinsdorf's take, we want you to watch it and react to it. And it was the first time Jordan had seen Reinsdorf's take. I thought that was really telling and really cool. And his reaction to it about basically saying it's all bullshit and we all would have came back for a seventh run of the title. I That's nothing, I don't think, I was used to having that kind of blunt honesty about the institution from MJ as we got in that moment. I feel like he was holding back a lot there. I, I think yeah, he, I do too. he kind of bit his tongue because Jerry Reinsdorf is a guy he probably meets with on yeah. a monthly basis because they're now NBA owners together and they probably right. have a good True. working relationship there. So it felt like he was kind of biting his tongue. He just kind of said, yeah, I would have came back. I think everybody would have came back, but too bad. I, I'm, I'm a little... You know, I'm a little upset. That's, you know, I had those few lost years of my career. But it, the thing is, like, he did this once already. After the, the exhausting three-championship uh, run that he was on, I mean, he w- he was already going to book out, you know, and play baseball even before his dad died. That's something I learned in the series. And then, you know, what, what seemed to be an even more exhausting three-peat, I, I can't see him coming back after the, all of that. I mean, maybe he would have for nostalgic reasons because he didn't want it all to end right then and there. I guess when you're 32, 33, you can, there's more of an open window to come back. But at that point, right. 
Maybe well, because also, he comes back and he plays for the Wizards years later, so he still wanted right. to play. Right, and that's, I mean, he, he did at least go as far as saying if we all came back, if we were all given the opportunity to come back, we probably would have come back. And he kind of did put the onus on and the burden on Kraus and Reinsdorf, which I think was was kind of shocking in its honesty for me. I also think him retiring the first time from baseball, yes, his father was kind of, the, his father's death was the catapult to push it over. But to me, it seemed like a guy who was having trouble coping with celebrity mm-hmm. and media scrutiny. Yeah, he needed a break, I mean, essentially. Right, right. And when he came back in the late 90s for that second three-peat, I felt like he was okay being Michael Jordan. And he was used to it by then. He didn't really give a shit and kind of came to his own. So I'm more willing to believe he would have. He was telling the truth about saying he would have come back and chased that seventh one if Kraus and, uh, and Reinsdorf gave him the opportunity. But, man, just overall, God, what a freaking documentary what a series and it's kind of a shame that oj made in america had to change the documentary feature landscape so we can talk about this one through an oscars lens a little more but it'll uh, be up for emmys i guess instead yeah it should win every award that uh it is up for so a couple questions uh who do yeah. you think got redeemed do you think scotty pippen dennis rodman jerry krauss jerry reinsdorf do you think any of those four guys got redeemed at the end of it because they were kind of the villains leading in Rodman, more than any of those four names you mentioned for me, because it, it, everyone was just kind of like, this guy's just his weird dude, and he needs to be himself, and if you let him be himself, he's reliable when he needs to be relied on. Yeah, I liked what they did with Rodman at the end of it. I know neither of us enjoyed the uh, the kind of the intro to Dennis Rodman right. there. Scottie Pippen, I thought, had... Had, had a nice moment or a nice segment here in the last episode where he played through that back issue. Jerry Krause, it almost felt like they were kind of forcing, you know, a happier kind of storyline for him at the end of all this. Like, I could use a whole nother episode, to be honest with you. I can use a whole nother episode debating ex- exactly what Jerry Krause was thinking in this whole situation. Like, I mean, you can't tell me that them going into the luxury tax for a year going for a seventh title would have made them less money than them no and letting this team play it out yeah it does make no sense like if you it had nothing to do with money it had everything to do with jerry krause's ego i think it had to do with jerry krause's ego he figured that he can rebuild the team into a contender again around tony kukoc i mean why why am i not getting credit for putting this team together why does everyone think it's just michael jordan i'm the one that drafted scotty first i got steve kerr on this roster blah blah you know it's it's an ego driven thing and i guess from his perspective i i kind of understand it but at the same time how can you ever think anyone is more important to anything having to do with the game of professional basketball than Michael Jordan at any moment? Especially someone as just so powerful. I mean, with the with the presence of Michael Jordan, he's going to be so powerful right. in your organization. Like, how do people how do people go out in front of the media and basically antagonize? your number one player like this for so long and it's so right. it's so clearly and brazenly like it really makes no sense uh and it's and yeah i mean it's absolutely shooting himself in the foot they rebuild that rebuilt their team there for years until you know thibodeau and the rose noah teams did okay but uh you know they're they're rebuilding again. I mean that didn't work for them really. They had a couple playoff years after you know the Jimmy Butler era too. But so it's unfortunate for the Bulls because they they'll never see a team like that again, or at least for the foreseeable future. Mike, Jason Hehir uh, Hehir. I can't pronounce his name. I probably should have looked it up. <laughs> you know, he can basically write his ticket right now, right? I mean, three thirty for thirties. The Andre the Giant doc, and now this. 
you know, I, I mean, what is he going to helm the Kobe doc, do you think? What do they do after that? The Spurs, Patriots, what do you want to see from ESPN and Jason? Uh, he's cozying up to the right people because Michael Jordan's team was the executive producers behind this documentary series, and he did a great job and told their story for him. He's worked with The Ringer and HBO through that Andre the Giant doc as well, so he's cozying up to all the big names in sports and sports media. So, uh, yeah, I think he did a fantastic job. What do I want to see next? Tiger Woods would be fucking fascinating. Yeah, that's true, but is he is he done with his third act yet? No, probably, probably not. Like, if... If he wins a couple more majors, he can he can still get his record and all that. Right, right. And I, I hope we get that someday from him. But that's the story I kind of want to hear most. I think David Stern would be a fascinating one, too. <laughs> getting to get the behind the scenes of like what exactly went down on lottery night in 85 with you boys. And <laughs> a lot of those, you know, wheeling and dealing the lockout, how we almost lost the 99 season. I think there's a lot of interesting stories that uh, that he could be told for as a ruthless businessman, but also someone that genuinely cared about the state of uh, growing the game of basketball. We've gotten one number one pick in the yeah. in how many years? Yeah. And that's well, because that's because it was fixed. Well, I'm just saying, man, you know, sometimes Truth needs to be told, and you'll feel better about yourself. Maybe that's I why the Knicks have been treated so poorly by karma. want to rage right now, <laughs> but I'm not going to do it because I got more what we're watching stuff. Seamlessly transitioning now, we're going to discuss Seaberg, Michael. This 2019 <laughs> Amazon Prime movie about G- actress Jean Seaberg, who was huge in France back in the uh, 60s and, and 60s, I think, anyway. Tom mm-hmm. Hardy should take a few notes from Kristen Stewart here. I mean, <laughs> she never goes over the top ever in this. I, I loved her. It's a showcase. I, I-, I thought this was a terrible what situation. What an unfair comparison. No, a it's the perfect over comparison. The top in yeah. every role and a girl who may be the most reserved yeah. actress in Hollywood. Well, I said he should take a few notes from her. He can <laughs> land somewhere in the middle. But he doesn't have to be a bug-eyed drug addict in every role that he plays. I mean, good God, man. But you liked Stewart in this movie. I loved Stewart in this movie. I, I like this movie much more than I thought I would. It's basically good. about the uh, the feds just, you know, turning her life upside down. And there's a lot of good performance. Anthony Mackie, Zoe, uh, Zazie Beetz, uh, a lot of a lot of good actors in this. So there's like a B-minus movie. It's worth the watch on Amazon Prime if you're fascinated by film history. Mike, otherwise I watched a lot of TV. I finished hate watching devs, and I don't see the allure of this series. I really don't. First, oh wow! First of you all, went through it though, huh? Bad hairdos, just across the board. And I don't even the think original also Mike Sin. Yeah, I mean it's just like the pet peeve of all pet peeves for me. Like if you have just absurd hair, I hate this program. And this, <laughs> I like I don't know what Nick Offerman is thinking here. Like I don't know if somebody's doing his hair for him. Or if he is doing his hair, it has to be him, right? I mean, what Megan Mullally Debs? did it as what a. What is it? Uh, I, I, like that's that's the whole secret of the show, so I'm not going to tell you. Oh, uh, okay. I, I, like I hated this, and I love Alex Garland's career up till now. It's got its moments. It's good performances. It's kind of cool at times. I'm not a fan, though. I'm absolutely not a fan. Can't recommend. Is there more than one season available, or is it just the one season? No, it's eight episodes. It's eight episodes. Okay. I can't imagine them doing a second season. I don't know. Okay. All right. So that's one good and one bad. Belgravia was also kind of crappy. I mean, the whole big finale. And I should have known this from the book. But let's just say, like, those Bond villains that we talked about being very inadept at, uh, you know, getting rid of the hero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Belgravia villains uh, are so much worse. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Like, I'm going to push you into the water now, and you're going to die. <laughs> Don't do it, sir! Don't do it! I want to murder one person in that way. They're, they're I just saved... want to see if it can ever happen in Look, real life. spoiler alert, but they're saved immediately by, like, 20 guys. 20 people oh. saved the person, the hero that was pushed into the water. So it's a terrible job, bad guy. You didn't, didn't get didn't take all that time it. talking and threatening him with doing it, he could have been gotten to the drowning by now. So awful, so awful. And I like the book, but it's mostly just people sitting down talking, so it's totally uncinematic, except when they're going through the beautiful, like, uh, what's it called? Landscaping. Landscaping there, (laughs) costumes, excellent, everybody's pretty, but give me a break. All right, so the hair is is an automatic disqualifier, and then you had to find other reasons to dislike it. I got you. Yeah, I watched the morning (laughs) show. I watched Fosse Verdon, like, into the middle of those seasons. I'm loving both of those. I did not like Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse on Amazon. Uh, I'm hate-watching Defending Jacob on Apple TV. Otherwise, the the one thing that I really enjoyed, I I came to enjoy it because I didn't like the beginning of it, was What We Do in the Shadows. I finished uh, season one from, you know, the FX show from 2019. Uh, It's now on Hulu, FX on Hulu. So there's some cameos in this that are just brilliant, obviously hearkening back to the movie What We Do in the Shadows from Taika Waititi. I love the cameos, not just from that movie, but from uh, a bunch of vampire movies. You know, Beanie Feldstein has an arc in this, which is hilarious. So there's like five or six excellent, really funny episodes. So this this show eventually won me over. I do want to take a dive into that. So next time I'm asking you when I'm finally ready to dive into the next TV show I'm going to take, which will be in like 2022. uh, Never. Remind me. Don't ask me. Don't ask me about TV ever again. It's just not going to work out well for either of us. Well, speaking of that, the TV show I've been watching lately has been Community, and a lot of it. Uh, So I've moved on from Parks and Rec and The Office to yet another NBC sitcom, this one from the Dan Harmon variety. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forgot how much I loved this show when it was on. It was one of the last, like, weekly appointment stops for viewing that I had booked into my calendar. Uh, So you can see what kind of television life I always led anyway, if you haven't gotten that picture by now from all the MMOWs that we've done. Uh, But I've been tearing through those at night, and I love love them and they are so good and i i get i'm gonna weep when it gets bad because i know it does get bad towards the end when oh no uh, the network intervenes and they start playing around with the cast and all that but uh with watching community i did also watch the vulture reunion panel they had the 10-year debut reunion panel uh this past november that vulture put online on youtube it was fun to watch and all the cast got together except for i think donald glover and chevy chase were missing but other than that, Harmon was there. A couple of the writers were there. Joel McHale, uh, et cetera. Allison Brie, all the, oh, they were all there. So uh, if you haven't watched Community, if you didn't watch it when it was on TV and you like the stupid comedies, it's it's actually more of a, a, a precursor to like Rick and Morty stuff, which I guess makes sense because mm. that's Dan Harmon too. But it's that kind of witty, understated, uh, high intelligence comedy that I, I, I think anyone would like. I've never seen it, never once. But you're saying it's like the Dexter of TV shows. It just gets yeah. really bad. Well, yeah, in like its fifth season, yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes a while to get there. But like seasons, at the end of season one and season two and three, it's great. All great stuff. Um, The other show I just started that I just happened upon on Netflix was Trial by Media. Have you watched this at all, Mike? Not at all. Okay. I just saw it the other day. 
Uh, and I went through the first three episodes, and it was the Jenny Jones murder, the Bernard Getz case, and the, uh, the New York City shooting of this minority man. They shot him 41 times. He turned out to be unarmed. And it was basically the media's trial. It's the media's effect in, on public opinion, how these were all portrayed vis-a-vis what actually happened in these cases. And it's just this cross-section of all these different realms that have always fascinated me, mm-hmm. like trashy reality TV meets, like, long litigious criminal trials meets like cult of personality type stuff and why people's mindsets get to the point they do and how they can be so easily influenced by certain people and based on what they say and blah, blah, blah. So it it really, I think they might've just made this show for me, which if this, that's the case, I appreciate. And George Clooney is an executive producer. So that means him and I are friends now, I think. Wow, so that it sounds like a heavy watch. Uh, yes, how much is. more do you have of it? I don't know how long the season is. Uh, they're they're their own single shot anthology type season, so one episode has nothing to do with the next one. Let I me rephrase: have... How much longer is this review going to go? Because I'm done this... with it. If you didn't ask the follow up question, so now I just feel like I have to keep talking and talking. So it's just another what we're watching, folks. Where Mike and I realize we have absolutely nothing in common. Mike, can we get the news of the week? That's it's terrible because it. I go on forever. I'm such an ass. I know. I How go on dare you? And you, but I'm glazing. I get over excited here. about one thing in three years. No, you lost me at like long. Lit- and it's just one of the things I love. Long litigious. So you don't like cases. watching courtroom dramas or courtroom stuff at all? Like real courtroom stuff? No. No. Who? Does? Okay. I'm hating defending Jacob right now, and that is as stylized and as you know sensationalized the court case thing ever. Okay, well, I'll watch it then for you, buddy. Don't worry. You got it for me. Thank you. (laughs) News, 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 Michael, David Arquette. He is returning as Dewey Riley in Scream 5. Yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere. The only stories that we had heard up to this point was that the the new directors of Screen 5 had reached out to Nev Campbell and that conversations were being held and then Bloody Disgusting all of a sudden just dropped it on us today. Arquette came out and said, yep, I'm playing Dewey again. I'm in. Let's go, Screen 5. I'm all for it. I, 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 I have the same stance. I, we're just basically updating news at this point. Original fans of the 96 Scream deserve some type of closure with the original three. That's it, and that's all. And I think uh, Dewey being back will help Nev Campbell be back. I think the toughest one's always going to be convincing Courtney Cox to do it again. And I think that will probably register as a surprise to me if they actually get that done. But who knows? If the paycheck's big enough, anyone can do anything, right? So I'm I'm excited to hear this. What about you, Mike? I think it's got to tip off the fact that the others are coming, right? I mean, or, or you think Courtney Cox is just going to hold out and they'll basically, you know, have her killed off? I he's, think Courtney he's Cox widow has, Dewey, has widow a, Dewey. Yeah, maybe. El, maybe. Algebra bat, Bachelor, like basically <laughs> a Hallmark movie Dewey now. The town. It's not Scream anymore. It just turns into Bachelor Party, a remake of Bachelor Party that Tom Hanks did, starring David Arquette. No, I, I think Courtney Cox, her profile is going to be on kind of the, the come up again because of the Friends reunion show that HBO Max is going to roll out. And I think she's she might be positioning herself to do bigger stuff. And if that happens, I could see her needing to be convinced to reprise the Gale role one more time or one last time, and maybe they sweeten the pot by making her the killer this time. Who knows? Come on. No. I think it, I mean, it would take a huge jump. You'd have to have a hell of a script to pull that off, but who knows? 
I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that the, <laughs> you you want something that big. Yeah, you wouldn't you be the first person to hate that kind of a twist? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, depending only because there's like the ways I have seen it presented online has been ridiculous and it's not any kind of script I would like. But these are certainly more capable screenwriters than I'm able to be imagining in my head. So it would take a hell of a script and you'd have to have something that's like pretty much foolproof. But yeah, anything could happen, right? Yeah, just give me a good movie. I think it is what I want at the end of the day. Michael, uh, we have a couple stories on... The movie schedule, yet again, uh, first one is that The Forever Purge, which was slated for the first week of July, or July 10th, that is, it got moved, and it got moved to 2021. So this is kind of a big deal to me, at least from what I'm seeing. It's not necessarily even that The Purge won't be going forward, but Universal, which owns the franchise, is opting out of playing in July a property they know is a surefire moneymaker and has been and also carries very little risk to them. And they're taking that off the schedule a week before the much more volatile Tenant is supposed to go forward as a tentpole 2020 film for also giant movie studio WB. And I know the parallels between The Purge and Tenet obviously are very different, and the allure to theater patrons is very different, but if Universal and Blumhouse don't see enough upside against no box office competition to put forth an installment of a franchise that's grossed basically $13 to every one put into production just in this last decade, then I think it's just another sign that Tenet's not going to end up going forward on the 17th of July. Well, that's a good transition because Deadline did put out a story today that said uh, 80% of theaters need to be open worldwide for them to actually put out Tenant on that July 17th release date. And they said L.A., New York City, San Francisco, which accounts for usually 25% of the movie's opening weekend, that has to be open for them. Uh, I mean, L.A. has this shelter-in-place order that's going to go on for another three months. So it's it's really strange to me that Tenant hasn't moved yet. We, we talked about the dominoes that would fall. Tenant would bump Wonder Woman. Tenant would go to August. Uh, Wonder Woman would go to December. Dune would get bumped to 2021. So this has got to drop any day now, right? I mean, uh, when that's do you th- what we both think. Yeah. yeah. When do you think they'll actually say that? Do you think they'll hold out a little longer? We're both yeah, expecting because, this at this point. Right, right. I don't know what the harm would be in holding out another couple weeks just to be sure that nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you don't want to announce too early either because if by some miracle at the end of June there's this, you know, vaccination that just gets found out by some scientist that becomes widely available to everybody and everything changes. If you've already canceled plans, you can't go then go back. So I would probably the beginning of June, second week of June, I would think there's going to be some kind of news on this. Well, I think everybody's going to want a marketing campaign of a couple yeah, of weeks well, at least. That, right? that was going to be my follow-up. You're going to get a trailer, probably another one, at the first week of June anyway, about a month out. So I think that's going to be the, the do-or-die date. Well, Focus Features, Michael, they pulled a horror film, uh, Come Play, from their July 24th uh, date on the calendar, and they moved it to October. So that's not a good sign. And then we had, like, at least for me, the crushing news of the week. Like, this yeah. was this was upsetting. Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho got pulled from its September 25th release date. It got pushed to 2021. This is with Thomas and McKenzie. This had a great, you know, still that got me excited. It's yeah. supposed to be the psychological thriller. I can't. I, I couldn't wait for this movie, and now I have to wait for this movie, Michael. <laughs> the one thing I asked them not to do. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, this this all sucks. 
Well, we don't know what 2020 is going to be in terms of a movie year yet still, and we're on the latter half of May right now. The reason this one got moved is a different set of yes. reasons than than many others. Like, the shoot is done here, but they can't finish the post-production. So I can't imagine this is going to be the only one of these stories that we hear. I uh, I'm a little surprised that months out we're, we're getting this story now. Or I guess, let, let's put it this way. I, I think... A lot of these filmmakers, and it's not just Edgar Wright who's sweating like the plans to finish their films in time for their release dates this fall. I'm sure this is not the only film that is trying to uh, to get shit done last minute because th- that always happens every year, right. especially for Oscar movies. So right. we're going to hear more of these stories. I would agree. Uh, you know, it, it, again, we're we're in summer now, and we have nothing as far as what to expect so it's it's gonna be hitter i guess the only upshot of this is that if something like like tiff goes forward and we're sure we're in the clear by october then maybe tiff becomes like this unbelievable astronomical festival where all these movies do get rushed in to have some sort of premiere but otherwise i think we're just kind of sol right now yeah we just don't know it's it's too early we're just getting the uh the feelers out there for how these movies are going to do upon reopening and uh, and how these businesses are going to do upon reopening because right. that's that's the big thing. Can people get back in the office? Is you, I don't think they can finish everything at home. I don't I don't think they prepared enough in advance. I, I'm sure they got to do stuff with all the heavy duty equipment that they have at their production houses. <sighs> what a fun topic that we continually talk about. <laughs> that's right. Well, let's talk about some new releases though because we got do you care stuff. segment this is where we take on the news stories of the week we ask each other do we should we or will we care about them the way we start every do you care segment is we do take these upcoming releases that are coming out that you can see this week and we ask if we care about them here we have coming to netflix this week the lovebirds uncut gems which i've heard about and jeffrey epstein filthy rich my god why are we doing this to ourselves well, that's the f- based on your watching. Oh, I'm going to eat it up. You're going to watch that immediately. Like, it doesn't mean I like myself when I do it. But you watch the most disgusting, horrible shit. So you're going to watch Jeffrey Epstein. I'm going to watch The Lovebirds. That is correct. And that's why we're a team. <laughs> Coming to Hulu, we have Rocket Man, Premature, which was an indie spirit winner. We have I Still Believe, which is a Christian country music movie. What? Uh, premature is on my list. I will watch premature, Michael. Next question. <laughs> Coming to Amazon Prime, we have Trial by Fire, which is a Laura Dern legal drama. We also have Come to Daddy, which you have reviewed here in the past. I liked Come to Daddy. It's it's a fun watch, especially if it's just available for you guys via streaming. Trial by Fire sounds like another just parade of sadness that you will immediately tune into. Very excited to see who gets wrongfully killed in that one. <laughs> uh, coming to VOD as well, we have The Trip to Greece, which yes. is Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden and that, a travel comedy. That. Funny, 
There's food. They eat food. They make jokes. They do impersonations. That is what I shall watch. The bar for our watchability individually is so vastly different. It in and of itself is hysterical. You're like, I just want food porn and I want to feel good. And I'm like, I need someone to have some sort of intestine on the outside to get me interested. This is the case across the board, across the board. This is the case. And I'm just realizing we're just pinpointing it now, which is shame on us. Michael, Luca Guadagnino is going to direct a remake of Scarface. Do you care? Yeah, I think anyone that has a movie podcast or works in the industry should. So this is a script also that's going to be written by the Coens, or I guess has been written by the Coen brothers. I'm usually against remakes of any kind, and for what it's worth, The Hollywood Reporter is calling this a reboot, but considering that I don't think Tony Montana or Manny or Elvira is going to show up in this one. I, I think it's a remake. But anyway, I'm I'm still very leery of any 2020 version of any cinematic classic. Mike, I think this uh, role is kind of uncastable. I mean, can anybody, oh, yeah. can anybody do what Al Pacino did in no. the 1983 film? No, you can't have Tony Montana in this movie. And I guess it's not a necessity because the 83 movie was a remake of the Howard Hawks 32 movie anyway, even though it was totally different characters hmm. and Howard Hawks lead character was named Tony Camonte. Yeah. I'm with you. You can't have Tony Montana in this movie. Yeah. Uh, he, you, you can't, it's, it's on, you, you can't try to replicate that or replace it or do anything. I think they actually shouldn't even be in Miami. I mean, they need to be in a different city. I think the 32 was in Chicago as well, but they need to be in a different major city. And I think the, the article said this one's going to be based in LA anyway, which I think is a good start, really? but I'm with you. I think that's pretty much a necessity but I do trust Luca, and I don't like remakes at all, but if we're going to have anyone do it, I kind of like that Luca is the one doing it. Well, he remade the shit out of Suspiria for good and for ill. I yeah. still think Suspiria was 30 minutes too long. I think they should have cut all of the Erbersdorf crap in that movie. Like, it was way too indulgent for for Guadagnino. Nobody said no to him, and it turned out to be a flop. Like, if he, if he had a tighter film... It could have played much better at the box office if people didn't think they were going for two and a half hours. You're probably Boring right. Boring old man talking kind of thing, yeah. No, yeah, you're, you're probably absolutely right, and maybe he does need more guidance. Uh, still, I, I, I just... I don't want him to be overly... I mean, we've seen, like, Ang Lee, when he's left to his own devices, yeah, maybe he gets too indulgent in and of himself, but when a studio meddles, we get, like, Gemini Man. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's a balance. It's a tightrope, right? I mean, you can't, if you have the wrong people meddling, number one, you're, you're going to doom your production. Or you, you need, like, Robert Evans, who's a kind of a prick sometimes, to get on Francis Ford Coppola's case. And, right. You know, I mean, they, they fight and they argue and they bicker and they throw all these power moves out there, like uh, Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. But it's just. Uh, it's 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 really hard to predict whether or not Luca is that way or whether or not he's still getting just total creative freedom here uh, or whether or not, you know, the studio's going to have a heavy hand in this and if that's a good or a bad thing. Like, he's done a good job, Luca Guadagnino, and some of his shorter films. I, I think he earned a lot of street cred out there for how much money he made with Call Me By Your Name, with how many, mm -hmm. you know, how many accolades he got for that. You know, it resulted in an overlong, bloated Suspiria, but uh, don't get me wrong, I still loved that movie, and I loved it despite its flaws. I mean, that ending's great, all the stuff with the witches, so he's going to have some great stuff in here. Yeah, and it's going to be different, and uh, he somehow made Suspiria 
kind of a remake, but also maybe its own unique story in and of itself. So I'm hoping that's kind of the, the tightrope he's able to walk with this one as well. And if he does, maybe there's some kind of big uh, golden trophy waiting for him at the end of this one if he's able to pull off this uh, remake. I, I kind of doubt it. I, like, I just think properties like this, it's, it's really hard for for them to wind up being like Oscar fodder at the end of the day. I agree. It's just, just, it's very transparent that they're trying to make money here. Isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Or or introduce a new generation, but yeah, even at the end of that, you're hoping for kind of a licensing deal and getting toys out there and clothing and all that fun stuff. So yeah. And we'll be happy with that. Give us a good blockbuster (laughs) film. Let's go. Mike, we reported on this last week, but now it's official. Netflix has bought Ball and Chain, which is the new movie with The Rock and Emily Blunt. So Netflix and Amazon's been doing most of the buying out there. And I say most because uh, Neon's still buying stuff. It was it was cool to see MGM buy George Miller's 3,000 Years of Longing this past week with Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton that's getting everybody hot across the world. And I, I, also, I'm not going to be able to watch, especially after watching What We Do in the Shadows, by the way. <laughs> okay. A little bit of a tease there. But I... I I don't want to see Netflix and Amazon buying everything. So this is just me saying, pony up, movie studios. Keep buying stuff and giving us hope that movie studios will put out stuff and not just Netflix and Amazon. So please. Yeah, well, we need the pandemic to go away for those studios to start spending. I don't care. Just over leverage. Do whatever you got to do. Just make (laughs) me feel better, please. Fair enough. We can transition into a box office update. And, Michael, we have... Number one and two on the charts this week. Of course, basically the same movie, Scoob and Capone, respectively. You can't be surprised about this, right? I mean, nothing new has come out. Yeah. Thank God we got a June that's that's going to be at least front-loaded. So this was uh, inevitable, right? I'm surprised you didn't make the joke about Scrappy or Scratchy or Scraggly or whatever the lead character's name in Scooby-Doo is there and Capone, Tom Hardy's Capone having the same voice. Mike, this is the second episode in a row where we've made Scooby-Doo references, either you or myself, and you have botched yours, and I've nailed mine. You did not watch Scooby-Doo when you were a kid. I was more of a Jetsons guy. How is this possible? Like, this is horror adjacent, and this is a kid's show. I think you've caught me here. I I never liked that show. (laughs) I really didn't. It was never one of my favorites growing up. You're a dog person. I know. I don't get it. In the 60s and 70s. You enjoy. What's his name? Scratchy? Scrappy. 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 Scrat fucking pothead. Scooby. (laughs) Mike, a new survey says that the majority of moviegoers will return. What did you make of this? Yeah, so this is from Deadline. It's from an independent uh, survey. There's so much to unpack in the information that's given here. I'm not exactly sure that we learn much of anything at all. So, okay, the headline is that 75% of moviegoers say they will return. The qualifier is they're all saying that they will return if the safety precautions they each subjectively and individually themselves think should be implemented are, in fact, implemented by their own studios, at which point, if all of those individual mandates are met, 75% of people responded that they are at least somewhat likely to return. So they had a lot of options, right? Yeah. So it's The people didn't come up with what they wanted, or I'm sure, I'm sure there was a write-in section, but... Or, or, or was this all just right in in terms of what people want? No, they were given like, what do you consider a, an okay. essential safety option? What do you consider a this? What do you consider a that? I don't put a lot of stock in these surveys. It seems like this, you know, the movie theaters are trying to fish and see what people really want. 
to 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 make them comfortable and and they got to know that it's not going to, you know, be the be the end all. But I think there are so many more variables, Mike, that they're oh, not yeah. accounting for in this survey, which again is why I kind of throw it out. And it's probably good that I'm not in charge of these things, but number one, <laughs> you know, uh, are any, what else is open? Like we've talked about it. When things do get back to normal, are bars and restaurants reopened? I mean, everybody's just been stuck at home watching movies if you're a movie person, watching TV if you're a movie person. You know, are they going to just resume all their current rituals in a theater? Might they see one and then not go back for a while? And then, you know, month number two really suffers for movie theaters. And then I think the second major thing is, you know, what's playing? Like, if it's just unhinged, who's going to see unhinged in droves? I mean, I know these theaters do okay just based on old stuff because people are just happy to get back out in movie theaters, but nothing else is open right now in Texas or whatever else. I mean, really, you know, yeah. it's still kind of half lockdown mode here going. So if Tenant or Mulan or Wonder Woman are not playing, who's going? That's one variable for sure that needs to be more you know thoroughly investigated. Another one that I agree with, that you just, I don't know how you account for, it, is that when theaters do reopen, they're going to be going by reduce capacity guidelines because they're going to have to. Yeah. And one of the one of the safety options was, you know, more spread out movie show time so the theater uh, management and employees have a longer time to s- satisfactorily clean down the theaters and the seating areas and blah blah blah. That in and of itself presents its own questions because well who do you think is cleaning these things out? It's going to be a high school kid wearing a, you know, a cloth mask with a a nondescript watery spray can of something in a rag that's what's going to be so that's its own problem but also if theaters are only opening at 50 percent capacity or 60 percent capacity is that going to be enough for studios to be confident to put out new material and new blockbusters and are they going to be able to get enough bang for their buck and never mind our theater is going to want to open under those circumstances because they're going to have to be paying more employees to be there at the same time and filter them all out with PPE in order for everyone to feel safe and secure and clean and healthy. There's so many variables attached to this. I think you hit the nail on the head that I, I think it's just too still. My God, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's still too early to say exactly what's happening in this industry. And that's all the more reason I still pound the table and say, where is the innovation coming out of this? Where is the attempt from a studio to go to these theaters or go to NATO or to go to anywhere and say, let's work out a deal to get as much money as we can from these properties so all of us can survive somehow? Everybody's, I think that's going to need to happen. Everybody's broke. There's no money. Yeah. You know, there's... Uh... There's no innovation because there's no money for the innovation. I guess yeah, everybody's over leveraged right. right now, and they're and if they're they're in a good position, even like Cinemark seems to be in a better position than than other movie theater chains. They're just like, we better save our money for the future. So, I mean, in terms of you know people cooperating, I don't know. I'm 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 picking up a pizza the other day, and people are not cooperating. And this is only two months into quarantine. I can't imagine another month goes by and people are like in better moods so uh, yeah i don't know was it a utah pizza no it was in (laughs) i half listened to you no it was a west haven pizza it was almost the same thing but we're rival sports teams so i'm making that joke right now no i went to zupardi's for the first time and it was pretty good nice nice anyway I think that drive-in movie theaters are trying to make some moves because they see that they can make some money here this summer. So 150 drive-in theaters are going to be open pretty soon, as you you wrote down there. I'm stealing your copy. Yeah, Variety had this article that 200 movie theaters have 
opened thus far in America of those 150 are drive-in theaters, which is great for the drive-in business. Now, I might go see like Unhinged uh, at, a, at the Southington Drive-In, you know, which is mm-hmm. about 45 minutes away from me, maybe 50 minutes, you know, to watch Unhinged. I guess right. it's like a grindhouse kind of film, almost drive-in experience. I would definitely go see Tenet there. I would right. probably feel more comfortable in saying, you know, Mike, let's just stay in our cars. We'll go and see Tenet, and then we'll go back to our respective abodes and we'll go review <laughs> Tenet. <laughs> right? I'm gonna lick your steering wheel the next time I see you in person. It's the weirdest thing anybody's ever said to me. Actually, that's the second weirdest thing you've ever said to me. So I can't be. Mike, I mean, would you would be willing to go see a drive-in at some point. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Probably more for the bigger ones than I'm not going to go out of my way to see Unhinged. But yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we got to wrap it up today. We got some audience interaction here. Uh, and we did a little something new this week. We're going to try a bunch of new things going forward, Mike. But we basically asked our audience what they were watching. And we got a few interesting responses here. First and foremost from Wojciech Weisher, Michael. Deerskin, a sophisticated satire on cinema with a large dose of self-irony and self-awareness. Cinema, uh, cinema, cinnamon, mm. cinnamon of it pure... Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of pure absurd and grotesqueness, uh, which is something that Wojcik loves and worships. Me too. Me too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued right now by that. Uh, he also mentioned The Other Lamb, which is a film that could be made by such masters of modern horror like Robert Eggers or Ari Aster. Enigmatic and intriguing Wojcik with the great adjectives mm. uh, movie with beautiful cinematography and intense mood. He was all over one cut of the dead and community. Uh, so did you read Wojciech's review here and then you started rewatching community or I am Wojciech. It's time I come clean. <laughs> no, he just, he, he and I seem to have similar tastes. You do have a thing for Emma Stone. What did Nolan Roberts have to say? Mike? Yeah, Nolan Roberts at Nolan Roberts 17. He says the last four movies I reviewed on letterboxd 18 presents, which is an emotional roller coaster of a film as he hmm. calls it. He highly recommends Rico's de armor, a typical rom, com with nothing new to offer uh armor or a more you uh, made it yeah. sound like uh like well, uh, it's a yeah. war movie here's what happened there michael i read quickly um <laughs> uh, so it's not in english so it's the french spelling of a more so yeah you're right it's uh, got nothing to do with a shoot of armor and now i'm less likely to watch it because of that so because you're embarrassed of your pronunciation <laughs> yeah, that's correct i'm saying if we could all just move on from this i think we'll be better off for everybody here all right big <laughs> Crayon letters next time, folks. <laughs> Write it in crayon. He also mentions rope, which he describes as white Southerners who feel victimized for stupid reasons. <laughs> and dangerous lies, which is the Lifetime Channel Knives Out. Interesting. I could, yeah. I could probably go for that. My standards are heading downward towards <laughs> Lifetime. I almost watched three Agatha Christie you know, just like little mini series, two and three episodes. Like that Pale Horse was two episodes. It's like a movie. And oh I wow! Wanna, yeah, but it was it was it was engaging. So I still kind of want to watch more of it. So I might I might go in for Dangerous Lies. Anyway, maybe that's maybe that's the series we can do next. Just Lifetime movies and their real life cinematic equivalents. Don't you want to like dabble and just check one out? Because I haven't seen one in years. I have definitely watched worse recently. <laughs> I believe you. I do believe you. Speaking of watching worse and recently, Dark Nook at Dark Nook Shop says, uh, oh, so it's a Carradine 
theme challenge, is it? This is 100% legit, by the way. He says, uh, what I've been watching the last few weeks. He says he watched Hannibal. He says he watched The Mandalorian. He says he watched Dispatches from Elsewhere and Afterlife Series 2. And then he sends us a collage. I'm not going to describe what's in the collage. But you win, Dark Nook. You win. You always win. <laughs> I, I'm going to watch Afterlife Season 2. That's one of the things I keep treading over when I end up watching Community again. But Season 1 was was outstanding, the Ricky Gervais Netflix uh, show there. So I, I can abide by that. Isn't that really sad? Two has. Of course it is. How, what, this whole episode has just been a reveal about my viewing preferences. I don't like to be happy. Happiness is for the birds and for kids who haven't hit puberty yet. I just, I think you need to, like, be in the middle somewhere more often. Like, you watch, it's bullshit, because you either watch super-duper happy stuff, like Community super-duper happy, Parks and Rec is super-duper happy, The Office. The only time I'm in the middle is when I'm listening to Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Still listening to Jimmy Eat World? That was a great joke if this is 2003. <laughs> but it's not. But that was I just your got the joke. Thank you. That was stepping all over each other in this episode. Around, around the Hollywoods. Yeah, this this was a bit of a trial today, but that's all right. Uh, guys, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. And if you've listened to this, you should have many concerns. And they're all well-founded mm-hmm. if they're about our mental state of well-being. But still, we want to hear them from you about anything that happened in this episode or anything else we do in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you're quarantining with us and letting us try to kill an hour or so of your quarantine days uh, a couple times a week, if you would be so kind as to click the five stars for us in the Apple Podcast app uh, to return the favor, that would help us out a ton. Michael, let's end on a high note here. What are some words of wisdom and what's coming next from MMO? It is wise to take long walks. <laughs> that uh <laughs> go nowhere <laughs> allow you to get sunshine no 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 it's like a legitimate it's a legitimate word of wisdom right now get sunshine folks because that's all we got these days that's all we have when it's not hailing when it's not hailing i mean it's cloudy today so it just totally ruins my uh my equilibrium right now because i actually had a really good weekend in terms of nature you know, the nature treated us well this weekend. It was beautiful out. It was the perfect weather, too, in Connecticut. Yeah. It was like 65, 70 degrees. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start bookending these episodes with weather reports. I just think that's the, that's the pivot we need. That's how the, we get them. That's how we get them. <laughs> so it's wise to get sunshine. What's coming next, Michael? You, you're going to have to brand this episode. What exactly is this episode again? It's going to be fun. but So it's a list. It is a top five episode of our greatest cinematic disappointments. So we're going to go over the times we were most let down Mm -hmm. or frustrated or angry or upset about anything that had happened in the world of film or related to film. Uh, We're going to try to just get it off our chests. Hopefully it will be cathartic. Hopefully it will be funny like most times when we're talking about being upset and end up being. And uh, that is what is coming next on the immediate horizon from MMO. Yeah, I got my five ready already. There's five stories attached. So, yeah, that, that'll be a fun episode, I think, I hope. Or we'll just start crying, like, after number four. It's just five different aspects of this show and how you hate me slowly building over time. I, if you looked into the doc, you would see my five listed already. <laughs> so, no. One, you talk too much. <laughs> 
What if I just wrote Mike one is my yeah. number one? <laughs> you just put vague descriptors about me and my well-being. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was uh, we're at odds now, huh? I mean, this it's is Monday. Just, it's out in the open. It's Monday. Oh, we're just, we, we make a beautiful yin and yang is all it is. And guys, as always, uh, we love hearing from you and we thank you for your interaction. And we hope you keep it up. We are so all going to be putting out some Twitter questions for you guys this week as the week yes. rolls on. So when you see those react and respond to them, we're going to work those in as our next audience interaction segment for next MMO weekly. So be sure to be on the lookout for those. Uh, otherwise guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See ya. <laughs>